I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is We Had No Idea, our first podcast. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm so excited. Fired up. So basically what this is, if you missed the exciting trailer from a couple of weeks ago, uh, this is a history podcast, but not super. You've probably figured out by looking at the time that we are covering World War II today in not a hundred hours. So this isn't going to be super in-depth every move of everything. This is just going to be the basics of major events that have happened in history. Yeah, one of my best friends is uh, a walking dictionary. And I always found, you know, he'd say something and I'd be like, yeah, 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 I totally know. I totally know all about that. And I don't. Uh, And it gets a little embarrassing at some point. So we figured, why not cover the basics of, yeah. of, you know, what we should know and stuff that we should have learned and probably did at one point. Yeah. And other podcasts that cover these sorts of things can be really long and really intimidating. So Episodic. we just kind of, exactly. Yeah. So we just want to kind of cover the basics on, on these things, just mainly uh, a nice top up from history classes. Yeah. So I suppose uh, without further ado, we would like to thank um, Netflix <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you to Netflix and the internet for a, a number of different things, really. But in, totally. in this case, the information provided here, uh, a lot of the information done from, again, various research on the internet, but also the World War Two in color on Netflix. There's actually two documentary series called that. The The one that we focused mainly on was the one that was produced by Netflix themselves. Beautifully restored in full color. Right. World War Two, like you've never seen it before. Yeah, that didn't have a super British um, influence on it even a little bit. No, and for the record, that wasn't a British accent. My British accent is much, much better than that. Right, please don't prove that, though. Much better. And there it is. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we said without any further ado, and now we're a-doing. <laughs> now there's um, a-do. Yeah, now there's much further ado. Uh, so now, without any further ado, we uh, get into World War Two, which starts, interestingly enough, after World War One, as oh. Germany, not thrilled with how that went down because of the Treaty of Versailles. They are paying reparations. The Germans thought it was far too harsh, and when a country feels like they are being kind of beaten down politically, they sometimes tend to go extreme, and that is what Germany did voting in Hitler as Chancellor of of the, or uh, sorry, as head of the, the Nazi party and chancellor of Germany as fascism gains popularity. We can see this in part, um, you know, the Nazis and the fascist party are kind of the only ones offering a solution. Um, obviously everyone is hit in 1929-1930 with the Great Depression. So not only are they now paying reparations, they're being blamed for World War One, and also uh, the Great Depression. So everything's mm-hmm. kind of a huge bummer and fascism is really the only thing offering a solution to how shitty life is at this time. Um, so you can kind of see where the mentality was and then it gets, you know, I mean, it turns into World War Two. So right. to say it gets taken too far yeah. is is maybe underestimating it. But spoiler alert: it doesn't go great. Spoiler alert. Right. So one of the things that Hitler does immediately is introduces concentration camps, which we will cover a lot more later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but initially, they are for political opponents. Of which some of them tend to go away as uh, Hindenburg passes away in 1934 and Hitler takes over as supreme leader. He pushes the idea that Germans are to form a superior race, outlawing other political parties as well. Yeah, that's one of the first things he does is he outlaws other parties. Uh, it's kind of hard to contest somebody when you're made illegal. Right. Uh, He also believed that Jewish people were the enemy of the country. It's kind of hard to just start an all-out war on a certain type of person, though. So we can see, you know, smaller laws start to get passed, and then they snowball into bigger things. Including the the Nuremberg Laws, making Jewish people the enemy in 1935. They're uh, forbidden from having pets, cars, or radios. There are boycotts of Jewish businesses. There are book burnings. And the, the German people don't really do a lot to stop this because, quite frankly, they're benefiting a lot from this, which just is the absolute worst thing about humanity. Yeah, and there were some lies from uh, World War One that were spread about Germany. And, I mean, 
who's to say it's speculation to say that all of them were lies or some of them were truth. But when other countries hear about Germany potentially starting, you know, to blame Jewish people and passing these laws that affect Jewish people, a lot of them aren't believed just because of everything that happened before. Mm-hmm. I wrote here, propaganda is one hell of a drug. And we learn that it is. Right. State-controlled media is not good. It's no. bad, bad, very bad. Unless you are the state, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. Uh, while this is going on, Japan has started to invade China. It, it ties in with the, the Nazis expanding. So countries to the West are a little bit occupied with uh, a few different things that are going on. Uh, back in the, the the Jewish situation in 1938, they're trying to flee to a, a number of different places, whether it be Cuba, uh, Miami, I believe one tried to come to Quebec at some point, and they were all basically turned away. They return to Germany and are placed in concentration camps. They try to flee Germany, but emigration tariffs are placed on them, so even if they could go anywhere, they couldn't afford to live anywhere. Mm-hmm. So with no pushback from other politicians, Hitler and his Nazis continue with their plan, which was expansion. They need more room to make their superior race sufficient. So in 1939, they invade Poland. If you need more space, I guess you go and take it. Right. Uh, as Germany gains more territories, they also gain more Jewish prisoners. So they start to create these ghettos for them. They do have camps at this point. Again, we said those were for like political prisoners, but they're not outright sending all Jewish people to those yet. So they're putting them into ghettos that are, I mean, I can only imagine awful. Yes. And then after that point, um, a lot of men and boys are rounded up for camps. During this time, there are a lot of different things that go on. And again, we'll get into concentration camps and the effects of those uh, a little bit later on. Okay, so Germany has gone into Poland. Um, Hitler's building his army, kind of daring people to start another war. I mean, the climate at the time is that nobody really wants to go into another war. Exactly. This is 1939, so everyone's coming out of the Great Depression. Things have been really shitty for a long time. And no one really wants to get into a war. And then all of a sudden, this guy in Germany is like, well, I do. So the Nazis march into Austria, where they are welcomed by the Austrians, who I guess have also had it rough. And again, fascism is offering a solution to uh, their problems. (laughs) Um, The Allies don't do anything. They don't want to get into a war. He is starting to build an empire. Germany and Russia, they sign a pact at this point not to attack each other. (laughs) <laughs> what's the saying there's no love in war there's all's no... fair in love and war is one uh, of the sayings i know yeah i guess that doesn't really work here but what i'm trying to say is that both of them are greedy greedy assholes right uh and yes. eventually obviously that doesn't stand anymore yeah there there is a fracturing of that relationship uh certainly at some point but again there is some similarities between the two sides as we already mentioned hitler invades poland 16 days later Russia decides to get in on that, and it is at this point that Britain and France declare war on the the German side. The aforementioned Japanese situation, they have an issue with the United States, as the U.S. has banned Japanese people from moving to the States. Japan feels like they're being uh, treated as second-rate, even after a couple of big military wins in the 1900s. The U.S. Great Depression has hurt the Japanese economy, and a far right movement takes over in Japan. So as mentioned, they are aggressively expanding while the United States has a bit of uh, anti-Japanese rhetoric going on. Japan on the other side felt like they were superior and that the United States would crumble. There was a lot of just remarkably racist things going on in the Mm -hmm. U.S. towards Japanese people at this time. And Japan thought uh, of their army as much more structured and much more disciplined, and that was going to help them in this situation. So we move into late 1939 as everyone again... There's a bit of a waiting game going on. That gets broken down as the Germans really start to expand. Germany was a little bit worried about France getting in on this thing after the Germans lost in World War One. But generals for France basically just use the same tacti- uh, tactics as World War One, And Germany had a relatively easy time with that, uh, as we would discover a little bit later on. But the, the Germans continue their kind of aggressive expansion as they invade Denmark and Norway, creating a northern flag 
flank. It opens up some steel resources for them as well. The British do try to help out Norway in this situation, but they get taken out. And by about May of 1940, Germany has firmly established themselves as a, a real power in this situation. So in May 1940, we have Prime Minister Chamberlain of Britain. Um, he resigns over the loss of Norway. Uh, and then this is when Winston Churchill shows up, I guess. Yeah, he, he comes in as the new prime minister. Yeah, kind and, of standing up to Hitler. He right. is running on a platform of like, we won't take this. We won't let this happen. So on the same day that Churchill becomes the prime minister, Germany invades Holland and Belgium. Like, oh, you want to run against us? Well, yeah, this is what you are up against. Yeah. As they come in on the, uh, the south border, France heard that it was happening, but they did not take it seriously at all, mm -hmm. which was something I noticed as this whole thing went along. It, it felt like a lot of the stumbles on either side of this were, ah, it'll be fine. Kind of underestimating, underestimating your opponent totally. for sure. Yeah. There was a lot of that going on at this point. Germans came in with a plan and France was just too slow to react to everything. You know, they, they did hear the little intel information. They didn't take it. And then the French thought that it would take about two weeks for Germany to take Sweden. Uh, it took three days, which, I mean, now we have probably my favorite tidbit of information that I learned about World War II in that the Germans were taking Pervitin, which we would know today as meth. Right. So I would like everyone to just take a moment and imagine a German army knocking on your door and they're all methed out. How fucking terrifying. Very would be the, the correct response to that. Yes. No, that, that, that is absolutely terrifying. And you kind of, this was one that I, 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 when we heard it in the documentary, it was, oh, right. That is a thing that happened. I didn't know. They, I they no were, they, they were very much methed out of their minds, which <laughs> that, that would be why France thought that it was going to take a couple of weeks. And instead it took a matter of three days because they just, they didn't need sleep. They didn't need to eat as much. It dulled the pain. They were less empathetic, which has its advantages when it comes to having wars. Mm -hmm. So this was, again, awful for the human beings involved, yeah. eventually, as that that is not really a sustainable way to run a human being. But at the time, it actually worked out terrifyingly effectively. This type of fast-paced uh, warfare eventually gets called Blitzkrieg by Germany, so that might be a term you've heard a lot. Uh, it just is really, really, really fast moving armies, um, maybe associated with meth, maybe not. Not not associated <laughs> not, with Not that. associated with right. Yeah, the, the, the speed and the pace of the, the German army becomes a, a real hallmark for them, especially in the early going, as, as they're able to, they, they take over Holland, they're able to cut off uh, allied forces and surprise them. The, the British try to escape, mm -hmm. but Germany absolutely crushes them. And the, the one way that they do this again is something called the Luftwaffe. At this point, I know I'm saying that wrong, but at this point Luftwaffe. they send them in and just absolutely annihilate a lot of things that the, the allies are trying to do at this time. Yeah, and the Luftwaffe is their superior air force. So Germany at the time, it, it seems like kind of going through the war, they don't really innovate any of their war machines, such as their air force, such as their tanks, whereas other places do. So right now in this point in time in 1940, Germany has the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And we do see some innovation start to come in throughout the war, but... At this point in time, Germany has the brightest and best. So they send in their Luftwaffe to bomb the remaining Allied forces that are left in Dunkirk. Dunkirk is another name I'm certain that lots of you have heard of. And you're like, I don't know what Dunkirk is. Dunkirk is an area of France that is like a beach, I guess. It'd just be a port city. So there is just a ton of troops from the British army, from the French army, and they're stuck in Dunkirk. And there's been a lot of bombing and everything. So there is a lot of cloud cover from burning oil. Oh, it's oil bombs. Oil bombs? Those are a thing? Fuck. The Allies end up saving about 300,000 troops from Dunkirk, which is why you've probably heard of it. It was a huge success for the Allies. In June of 1940, the... French flee Paris. So the Nazis are marching in France um, and to save Paris from, you know, 
tons and tons of carpet bombing. The French surrender it. And by late June, the Germans are occupying all of France. Yeah. And it really felt like that became a a real main base for a lot of stuff for Germany at that time. There are a lot of... And it's crazy to see the Nazis marching while the the Eiffel Tower is standing. Oh, my God. Some of the pictures of, like, you see the Germans on horses. They had that, too. There's uh, It came up a bunch of times is that... You know, Germany does have the best of the best of the time, but they also just have a shit ton of horses. They're always on horses. Mm -hmm. And it comes back later, like, you know, in 1945, when, a spoiler alert, allies are coming into Germany. They're like, why is there so many horses around here? We thought you guys were, like, innovative and on top of, you know, inventions. Mm But no, it it seemed like something out of like a video game where you ended up losing. And well, I guess the Germans are marching in France now. Yeah. Oh, sorry. My point about the horses is that there's pictures of Nazis on horses in front of the Arc de Triomphe, which is just absolutely insane. Yes. It it is. it, It really is startling to see a lot of those images. As this goes along, September 1940, Hitler tells the German troops not to attack central London. It does feel like there are a couple of places that are kind of off limits in in this Mm -hmm. where you you don't, for lack of a better term, you don't want to piss the other side off where you you don't want to, okay, well, I guess we got to whatever. But a couple of troops do, or a couple of bombs, I guess, do kind of veer off toward central London. London responds by bombing Berlin and Germany responds with an absolute hellstorm, blitzing yeah. London for 50 days. 40,000 people die. Before this, Churchill was not a big fan of raid bombings. But following this, not to be too glib about something where 40,000 people died, he would see the effects of that. And he would see how effective that could be. And also, I think a big part of it is he saw how low the other side was willing to stoop. And obviously, as we found out later, it was much lower than anyone was even imagining at this point. But I think this was one that really changed what was acceptable in war at this time. Because it sure. did feel like there were, while I made the the thing that there's all is fair in love and war... It seemed like there was a couple of things that were just off to the side. And again, we will talk more as this goes along about some things that went way over the line. But this did kind of seem like a, okay, if that's how you want to play, I Mm -hmm. guess that's how we are going to play. At this time, Churchill wants help from the United States. The U.S. is saying, we'll pass. We are out. Perfectly content to let a war happen in Europe. And it's not North America, so let's not... Roosevelt mm-hmm. was up for re-election. He didn't want to go against the people as the U.S. people had, again, just been through a war, just been through the Great Depression. They didn't want anything to do with this. The U.S. does set up a naval base in Hawaii, though. They, they were using it for, for training and to, to kind of set up their, their navy with Japan, taking over in the Pacific War, taking over a lot of Southeast Asian countries and, and really expanding the United States sends some planes to, to Pearl Harbor just to seem like a, hey, you don't want to mess with us because look at these things that we have here. Yeah, and, and at this time, too, the U.S. is occupying the Philippines. Um, and, you know, Japan is taking over Southeast Asian countries. The Philippines is in Southeast Asia. So they're like, don't touch us or our occupied countries. We have forces, you know, halfway to you already, should you try anything. Mm-hmm. We have Japan joining Italy and Germany. So Mussolini is the leader at the time in Italy, who is also a fascist dictator. They signed the Tripartite Act. They're all fascist. Why not be friends? Uh, but again, they're all greedy, greedy bastards. So <laughs> to say it ends uh, well is wrong. Just flat out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point, the United States, again, seeing a bit of a threat from Japan, they place sanctions on them, halting exports, mm-hmm. including oil. Japan counters this by invading Indonesia, which feels like you're kind of caught in the middle of something here if you're Indonesia. Yeah. Um, Japanese officials, they, they want to start a war with the United States because of how Americans are treating the, the Japanese just in general, whether it be the people, whether it be exports, imports, and Japanese people living in the United States of America. So Japan comes up with the plan to go after Pearl Harbor. Washington does intercept messaging. So kind of like we had earlier where there was some intel for France to get ready for a German invasion. 
Pearl Harbor gets that as well. So Washington intercepts some messaging, but um, officials in Pearl Harbor are focused on getting ready to support U.S.-controlled Asian countries. They're not worried about an attack on themselves. They're worried about attacking others. The U.S. is worried that Japanese Americans are spies. And while they're wrong for the most part, and you shouldn't just judge someone based off of their heritage, there is one, and he happens to live in Hawaii, where Pearl Harbor is. Yeah, that, that was kind of a weird thing. It was, all right, we're really worried about all these spies, except specifically in this spot that we have set up to worry about this country that we are worried about them spying on us in. Yeah, like there's crazy amounts of racism in the States. Uh, I mean, now, but also at this point. And it's like they forgot about Hawaii? I guess. Yeah, it, it seems very, very strange that, that this just kind of flew in under the radar. So December 7th, 1941, um, the night before a U.S. Naval Secretary said they wouldn't be swarmed, <laughs> they kind of are. They only have one radar in Hawaii, so it detected a large blob of planes, but the U.S. head authorities told them not to worry about it. Um, I don't know if they thought it was like a flock of seagulls. Or something, but actually it was the Japanese Air Force. When they arrived, they faced little to no resistance. They targeted airfields. All the planes were just sitting in a row, ready to go. And Japanese aircrafts just shot at them, bombed them, took them out. Mm -hmm. They did miss some aircraft carriers that were loaded with planes, but all of the U.S.'s anti-aircraft guns were locked away at this time. So, yeah, little to no resistance. Yeah, the, the, the Japanese really did catch them off guard. And, mm. and again, why why have radar if you're not going to look at it? We're criticizing 80 years yeah. in, the past, <laughs> in the future. But it's, you have radar for this exact thing. And then you see something show up as, ah, it's probably fine. And another thing that the U.S. was not anticipating the torpedoes to be as effective from Japan as they were. But holy crap, were they? And yeah. in all... 2,400 Americans were killed in this. And at this point, the, the Japanese are, uh, again, definitely feeling themselves mm -hmm. as they invade Thailand, Malaysia, and again, get more aggressive in the Philippines just 24 hours later. So they are just full on, all right, it seems like we're not having any resistance. So let's take advantage of that. And as we have seen in later years, whether it be with a film or like you were there, there there's a, a setup where they have certainly memorialized. This is something that now, but also at the time, Americans rally behind. Mm -hmm. This did, it, it seems like it woke up a bit of a sleeping giant. This, this, this drags the Americans into the war. Yeah. After Pearl Harbor, Roosevelt declares war on Japan. Four days later, Germany declares war on the USA because of that tripartite act. So I guess it was good for something. Yeah. Like we said, this drags the Americans into the war. They bombed Tokyo and within three months, most of their ships have been rebuilt. So this is something that at the time in Japan, they are... I guess, celebrating mm -hmm. because they, they just caught the, the Americans off guard. But some of the generals within Japan were kind of thinking, you know, like this was really, really good, but we missed a couple of the key things. And that allows the Americans to get back into it and to bomb Tokyo. And as, as we saw when we were there, there, there are a number of different spots where, hey, this is what it looked like in the 1500s, but also we were bombed in uh, the World War II, so we had to rebuild a whole lot of stuff. And obviously, the, the biggest of those comes a little bit later, but that was something that was quite evident throughout our, our trip through Japan, mm -hmm. was that a, a number of things were, this is what it looked like, but we don't have the exact thing because there was this World War II thing that happened. Yeah. Between uh, then and now, the Japanese, as we get into late 1941, Japan does continue to, to dominate throughout the, the Pacific as they are very much taking over. The, the United States, at this point, that they are still rebuilding. You have Roosevelt, who is quite upset at how things are going. He sends planes not fit for a long trip, so they, they are successful in bombing, but... In terms of those people, it was not a successful trip for them. They don't make it back. No, but it did give the U.S. enough to have a bit of a, a PR win back home as they hit the, the Emperor's Palace, which, again, very much frustrates the, the Japanese. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes back into that propaganda thing. Not that there was state-owned um, media in, in the United States, 
but they're like that they are controlling the message because this is something that's happening a world away and they're saying hey we hit the emperor's palace it's a big win for us so that this is more of that propaganda only on on our side of the ocean this time yeah and the same thing is happening in japan like i i said it once and i'll say it again propaganda is a hell of a drug and you know the japanese people are they're not hearing the whole story either and anytime that japan wins it's a win anytime that japan loses it's a win so everyone is getting mm, not the whole story late 1941 japan is absolutely dominating in the pacific and by dominating i do mean doing horrible war crimes so at this point japan tries to bait the u.s with an invasion of midway uh there is u.s ships and u.s planes on the midway islands uh this is another key point if you're from north america you've probably heard of midway but you're like "Mm, that's just rides at a carnival i don't know what that is uh it actually is a group of islands it turns out so japan is trying to bait the u.s uh with an invasion of this place and the whole thing kind of seems it doesn't really make a lot of sense what happened Um, We have another case of underestimating your opponent. There is some intel given to the U.S. that Japan is trying to do this, but they don't buy it. Um, But then it ends up that that the U.S. does pull their planes off the island and they end up flying over the Japanese army. And then the Japanese are trying to switch their ships from water attack and torpedoes to a land attack. And then the U.S., the u.s air force and the navy get lost but then they happen back upon the japanese army it it's a lot and it's kind of confusing right Um, both sides screw up a lot yeah in it (laughs) like midway is kind of just a clusterfuck that ends with the japanese navy being destroyed Um, there is three thousand total killed on both sides again propaganda is a hell of a drug we have a huge cover-up in japan and the u.s still has a lot of work to do uh coming back from this but this was a big win for them japan is still dominating in the pacific ocean so they do have a lot to come back from yes while that is all going on, we revisit everyone's favorite meth heads as Ooh. the Germans have used now the Blitzkrieg on the Soviets, which, again, we said at some point they fracture. This would be then. Approximately 1941 is when that happens. Yes. <laughs> the Germans storm through the Soviet Union where they are met with three million Red Army soldiers. Uh, The Germans need to go south for oil, but they want to take Stalingrad. The Russians did have strategic advantages in that area um, where they were... just where they were set up was strategically advantageous to the Russians, which is basically Mm -hmm. what I just said, only in a few more words. (laughs) It would have been better, like... You know, in hindsight, Germany does have to head south, so they do send some of their armies south. But then because Hitler wants to make a direct giant middle finger to Stalin, that is why they want to take Stalingrad. So he splits up his army, and that kind of is the start of the end of the Stalingrad. I want to call it a raid, but... Blitzkrieg. Blitzkrieg, yeah. That's kind of the beginning of the end of it. Um, If they had just went south for oil, we might be looking at a little bit of a different story here. One thing that I, I don't know if I like it, but it's a, it's another fun little tidbit adjacent to the meth heads is that uh, when the Germans arrive in the Soviet Union and there's 3 million Red Army soldiers, a lot of them are women. A lot of their front lines were women. And while I think that that's very like rah-rah, the Germans saw it as the Soviets being evil. They were like, why are women doing this? You guys are pure evil for having this happen. They saw it as, I don't know, they just didn't like it. They were like, women with guns? Mm-hmm. Are you from hell? <laughs> yeah, it, it did seem to really throw the Germans off from everything that we would read and everything that we, we would hear. And it was just very much a all hands on deck sort of a, a situation for the, the Russians in, in this sort of instance. And that is why it lasted so long. Mm-hmm. There are a number of different battles between the the Soviets and the Germans. Uh, One of them in 1942, the Battle of Moscow. Germany loses that, and Hitler believes it is because of Jewish people, so they decide to ramp up what is called the final solution. And and that is where uh, a lot of the atrocities back at the concentration camps really do start to become Mm -hmm. much more aggressive when you think about the the killing chambers. They start to set up, I'm 
not sure if it's at this, you know, in 1942, I'm not sure if that's when places like Auschwitz are officially built or if they were built beforehand, but this is when the gas chambers start to happen. So uh, a lot of of Jewish deaths and uh, opponents' deaths were at the hands of firing squads, but that's no longer as efficient as possible. Uh, so we start to see the gas chambers come in. Yeah, this is where if initially they were just like putting them in cars and trying to do it yeah, that way. Yeah, they had like they had gas chamber vans. Yeah, essentially. But again, that that was not doing it quickly enough for them. And mm-hmm. also, one of the things that was brought up at this point, some of the the lack of empathy from again meth was starting to I guess wear off would be the, the best way to describe yeah. it. And so there was actual psychological damage that was happening to these soldiers who are killing. Tens of thousands of people a day, yeah, which again, I mean... <laughs> it, it, it is, you do not feel bad for Nazis in any case at all. No. But I would imagine that would start to wear on a person's conscience, even the, the most awful of person mm-hmm. to be doing that on a, on a daily basis. So they just, just in, instead of, hey, let's not kill as many people, it was, well, out of sight, out of mind. And that that seems to be what the, the Germans thought with this. So something that we discovered while this was going on is I, I kind of thought, it was kind of like in Band of Brothers, the, the HBO documentary, that the war is essentially over, and then they stumble upon these concentration camps. But it was actually started to be reported by Soviet and Polish governments in 1942 about some of these killing camps. And Theodore Roosevelt said that they, they basically were just trying to win the war, which does sound very cavalier, I guess, and just kind of dismissive. Yeah. You do, in a sense, see where he is coming from, where if we just go to stop this, we're going to lose the war and then they're just going to take over anyway. Mm -hmm. So try to to stop them from the source. But it is extremely heartbreaking to know that there there was at least an awareness of this three years before everything gets really shut down. For sure. And there was, like, when all this stuff even came out after the war, um, some of the stuff I read was that it was so atrocious. It was almost unbelievable. So I wonder if that plays into it too. Like, you know, the Soviet and Polish government start releasing statements about uh, the camps and it's kind of unbelievable that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and like we said before, there was a lot of propaganda that came out during the First World War that ended up to not be true. Yeah. So that that leads to some skepticism mm-hmm. from, I mean, everywhere else, really. And, and again, like you said, it, it really is so horrific that it's tough to, to fully wrap your head around it uh, until we were finally exposed to it late in the war. As this goes along, the, the Allies try to invo- invade Dieppe. It does not go very well. The Canadians lose 900, 2,000 more are captured, tanks have trouble getting ashore. The the Germans really seemed to know what was coming, and that was a real setback for the Allies. Moving into 1942, uh, we kind of continue on with Stalingrad, and Stalin orders everyone who is there not one step back, kind of selling that love for the motherland and that nationalism that that we see very rampant when it comes to war times. It, it was very true with the the Soviets, no matter what was happening. If if you were to be killed, you were to be killed in honor of your country. And there was a lot of that as the Germans drop thousands of tons of bombs on the city. 40,000 Soviets die, but Stalin still says everyone is to stay put. And this is where the the million women in the, the Soviet mm-hmm. army really catch the, the Germans off guard. And because they have bombed the bejesus out of this place, the terrain is awful. Yeah. And it, it's so messed up, the Germans can barely get through. So Russia, is, or sorry, the Soviets are able to really just swarm the Germans. They call it the rat's war, because you're basically just fighting across the street from each other mm-hmm. in just rubble. And it, it, again, really did kind of seem video game-ish, where there's just like all these things have fallen. It's all right, well, I guess we're shooting each other here. It, it seemed quite 
quite crazy. 90% of Stalingrad was under German control, but this takes so long that we are now going into the winter and the Germans are not prepared for this. And the 10% the of Stalingrad that the Russians had was a, a very important 10% as it kind of cut off uh, any German supply chains or anything like this. And so uh, as this goes on, the, the Soviets are able to, to bring in more people and they attack the Germans and they stun the Germans. They, they essentially have them surrounded. Hitler at this point is like, you guys have this this should not be an issue for you. You are not getting any more reinforcements. They tried to fly in some supplies and the Soviets were able to to kind of cut that off. So the, the Germans basically are stuck and they can't go anywhere. The Soviets offer surrender. The Germans refuse, but they are exhausted. And by early 1943, 91,000 German troops offer surrender, but only 5,000 return to Germany. The Germans blame the Italians and the Romanians who are helping with them, and they also blame the winter. This is something that we will start to see as we go on further and further. The Germans cannot accept any responsibility of what is going on right now. Yes, and their arrogance is ultimately what loses them. I mean, it's what starts Stalingrad and it's what loses it. Mm -hmm. This makes the Germans seem extremely vulnerable. We talked earlier about how they, they were starting to feel themselves a little bit in late 1939 into 1940, but they're starting to lose a little bit more and, and that is starting to, to knock off some of the luster, which to some of the leaders makes them again feel vulnerable. So Stalin and Roosevelt are trying to put pressure on Churchill that this is the time for an attack. There does seem to be a bit of tension within the Allies. Churchill is worried about there being a bloodbath, but the Allies realize that they, they have to they have to take advantage and it has to come by complete surprise. And in July 1943, the Allies bomb Hamburg. 60% of the residential area is destroyed and 43,000 people are killed. Does shock Churchill um, as he was against air raids in the first place, but I guess now is on board with them. A an attack happening in Germany counters what the propaganda by the state-controlled German media has been saying. Um, so they kind of see a loss with their own eyes. Germany does call on every person to join the army just to create total war. On the other side of this, it's not very well reported in London. They were saying, yeah, basically just military targets. So don't even need to worry about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the, the allies continue to relentlessly bomb uh, in Germany and it is draining resources. But again, with this new propaganda, it does feel like there's a renewed sense of go get them boys from the, the German side of things. So British people and American people and Canadians for that matter, like all the allies, um, they think that all of the attacks uh, and all of the bombings are happening on German military cities and military establishments. But then we have the Dresden firestorm. It is horrific. It basically ends up there as thousands of tons of bombs dropped on the city of Dresden in Germany. People like, you know, they go to their bomb shelters and they literally melt the, this, not the city. Well, the city is essentially made of wood um, and it just burns and burns and burns for days. The Germans and the Nazis use this as propaganda to show how awful the allies are, that the opposition are. So they actually use this one loss that they have, quote unquote, in, you know, their propaganda brains um, to show that the allies are terrorists, essentially. So then this news of the bombings also reaches ally countries and it absolutely shocks the public that, you know, their countries would do something so horrific. Of course, they don't know at the time that <laughs> the Nazis are bad people and they're doing bad things to good people. <laughs> yeah, and the, instead of hiding the the fact that this was a, a real loss for them the the germans actually enhance it um th this is this is going to be one of the weirder things i say in reality only about twenty five thousand people died but they the, the germans say there are the 200 000 mm -hmm. casualties and this does start a bit of 
infighting in in the Allies? Did the Americans blame how indiscriminate the Brit uh, the British were with their bombings? Churchill once again goes against th this type of bombing and blames the Americans. It, it does seem like that this has the potential anyway to unravel things on the Allies side. In 1944, we have Germany losing more ground uh, in the east to the USSR. Germany is expecting an attack from the Allies, uh, so they send all of their forces to a city called Calais. It's in France, again. It seems like a lot of these key points and these key, like, you know, Dunkirk was in France, um, Normandy, Calais, like, all of these cities kind of, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, that... France seems to be kind of a hub for Germany and the Nazis. So Hitler puts his top general at the Atlantic Wall. Um, they order more fortification. They want the Calais. The Calais. It's C A L A I S, but it's French, so Calais. <laughs> they line their beaches with mines, barbed wire. There are spy planes to go and take photos of the defenses. The key with Calais is that it it kind of juts out from France. So it is actually geographically the closest place to Britain at the time. So that's why they think there might be an attack on there, just because it's the shortest amount of distance for the Allied forces to cover to get back into Europe. So yeah, they're just really trying to lock down that fort. But a, a kind of funny, again, I don't think World War II is funny in any way, but a kind of funny sidebar is that this guy named Percy Hobart comes up with a bunch of different ideas for tanks and flamethrowers, um, like swimming tanks, and they look hilarious. Like They look like children's drawings, and they get nicknamed Hobart's Funnies. And uh, as another side note to this side note is that when the Axis and the German spy planes are trying to see what is growing on the other side of the channel from Calais, they're using like inflatable tanks. <laughs> yeah, they're and, using and that as a decoy. Guns. They have they have these things called like Ruperts. They're like fake paratroopers and stuff. Like they're trying to psych out the German army by being like, yeah, look, we're building all these defenses here. But yeah. it's actually just like inflatable. It, it does. It looks like a TV show. Like a, a lot of... <laughs> A lot of things in this definitely seem like Home Alone inspired. Where totally. It, it's, yeah, it's Michael Jordan cut out on a, a train going around. <laughs> it's we're using aluminum to throw off the radars. We are using yeah. inflatables. Which is actually to, what they do. They yeah. Instead of um, you know when they're having giant air forces move across the channel to throw off the other the other side's radar, they're like blasting sh like aluminum shrapnel into the air to make it look like big cloud coverage so that they can't be seen. Mm -hmm. Like this stuff really is home alone. Yeah, it, it really, you, you think of this and you think of the Germans as so advanced. And like you said, they mm -hmm. have horses and the, the <laughs> allies, horses. the allies are the ones who take them down and they're using inflatables and they're using aluminum and they're using toy soldiers being dropped down. Like yeah. it's, it, it really is crazy. The amount of, ingenuity that is used and another part of this as they're kind of planning some of these attacks is that the weather is just like oh well bad clouds on this day so mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get them tomorrow or it, as it we just... saw in stalingrad like it turned to winter and they were like well, there's no food there's no provisions there's no way to get that stuff to us and it's freezing like a lot of a lot of the German army froze to death. Mm -hmm. it, it was all like, literally, it was all a decoy. Um, the, the, they are setting up for, the Germans believe that Calais is the, the, the main target when in fact it was Normandy. And, and the Germans don't believe that is going to, to actually be where the allies try to go, that they are set on Calais because again, all the different diversions and everything that's been set up that there is a little bit again of the germans just don't believe I'm like yeah mm -hmm. we we know what's up we know what they're going to do we know what we would do and it, it ends up biting them so on d-day on when when uh the beaches of normandy get stormed the beach of normandy looks kind of like a check mark to me um so there are five teams that kind of land like make landfall on that check mark at different times um there is american american british canadian british 
those kind of teams. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, the Americans make landfall at 6.30 a.m. And the final British one makes landfall at 8 a.m. Um, but Hitler is asleep at this time. Right. So Germany is kind of waiting <laughs> for word on what to do. But to, to your point, Hitler wakes up at 9 a.m. Yeah. And An then, hour after the final like branch of this invasion happens. And they have had, at this point, two and a half hours to figure out what to do. And yeah. their main course of, of telling their leader what's going on is to lie to him and be yes. like, yeah, you called it, man. Normandy was a, an elaborate diversion. Calais is the the real thing that we need yeah. to, to to focus on. And again, part of that, like I think, part of that is a lie, and part of it is like a let's not piss off the guy who's on just mounds of coke, as we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. But I, there there is part of it that again, the decoy worked. The, the, those fake paratroopers confused the Germans, and the Allies just eventually overwhelmed the yeah. the German defensive. There are a hundred and sixty thousand troops that crossed the sea. Finally, at 3 p.m., Hitler decides to to kind of counterpunch the, this whole situation, deploying the 12th SS Division led by the Hitler Youth Division. Oh, that's freaking creepy. Yes. It very much hurt the soul to even say. Yeah. Um, so that is one of the, the big wins as this goes along is... The, the invasion on Normandy. The Germans do kind of surprise the Allies. They sell that as a huge win on June 7th. They have some tanks and it's, hey, look at this, surprised you. Um, but the, this really was only a bit of a, more of a speed bump for the Allies than than anything else. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of goes back and forth here. Like even in our notes, I can see one of my major points is that the Germans still have horses. Yes. Um, I don't know how. I feel like, you know, we've we've talked for about 50 minutes about how it's just like bomb, 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 war, war, war. And the Germans are still like, yo, <laughs> we love agriculture. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was born in a 4-H town. So we have for for June and July, it kind of goes back and forth. You know, there is, like Peter said, there's a couple German surprises where they fight back and they punch through the ranks. Um, But mainly it is a really big push for the Allies and they kind of get their foot back in the European continent. Yeah, and again, this is where, to, to your point, I, I still can't get over the horses thing I know. as like that. That's just, well, I mean, all these tanks and hundreds of thousands of soldiers. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. The fucking horses, man. Let's just, let, let's roll them out. Let's go with How it. Is there so many, where, where are all these horses coming from? Uh, it, it ends up being just a, a bit of a disaster through the, or for the German story. And by August 25th, 1944, Paris is liberated. Again, we've been making jokes. There are more than 500,000 casualties at this time, but this does very much signify the beginning of the end of this thing. Yes, and on uh, the east side of Germany, the USSR is pushing back. Um, Allies have been able to spread quickly throughout France. Uh, They liberate Paris, as we just said. This allows them to use the resources in the area as well, which means that the Germans are becoming undersupplied. So to recap, just quickly. Yes. Undersupplied. Yes. Already on horses. Horses, yes. (laughs) It it would seem like this would probably be the time to stop. Yeah. Instead. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's fight more. Yeah, Hitler refuses to believe that they're going to lose this. I And so he just says, you know, we're going to keep fighting back. Mm-hmm. He thinks that if they can take Antwerp, that they can get the supplies they need and start to stall the Allies, perhaps take back France, you know, kind of get back what they have lost. Right. Um, he is banking on the weather to bog down the Allies and for overcast weather, take the Allies' air advantage away. Because like I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, in the early months and years of this war... The Germans had the best and brightest and horses. Uh, And now they just have horses and old tanks. So at this point, now Britain and the Allies have the superior air force. Yes. And and this was something that was brought up on the World War II in color documentary is that at this point, like, these are not the tactics of a winning side. You are, A, just hoping to stall them. Yes. B, you're hoping for the weather. Like, those, (laughs) those are not 
real. I understand that the weather eventually is a bit of their downfall in Stalingrad, but th- this is th- these are not the tactics of a side that is in firm control. That this mm-hmm. is desperation at this point, and more desperation comes in December 1944. As the, aggra- uh, the the Germans, sorry, aggressively attack the Americans, starting the Battle of the Bulge, and while it is, uh, again, these are very much in the end times of this war. This does end up being uh, it's a surprise attack that the Americans do not see coming, and it ends up being one of the costliest for the Americans at this time, which is it, it is one of the many infuriating parts of this mm-hmm. is that this. Sh- this should be done pretty well. Yeah. But because Hitler is so whacked out of his mind, he is just like, no, we have to keep doing this. We, we have to, to keep pushing forward. We have to win this war. And it, it ends up costing so many different lives. And mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's so heartbreaking to go from, well, this was the beginning of the end, except yeah. for this giant massacre. Yes. And one other thing I wanted to, to note about this, at this time, as generals are meeting Hitler, who is full on crazy at this point. Yeah. He is stowed away in a bunker where like all his generals who are coming in, they have to get all their weapons taken away from them because someone tried to assassinate Hitler at some point. And the generals are seeing him, some of them for the first time in years, and he looks nothing like they remember. Yeah. He is being fed cocaine and essentially heroin every day like in a daily syringe yes and he is completely irrational and completely delusional december 12 1944 note is the one that i i really want to focus on as hitler buses his commanders to a bunker and they are again very much thrown off by what they are seeing. Mm-hmm. He is paranoid. He is on all of the drugs all of the time. And it, it just, it feels like that this guy has completely lost it. Yeah. And so he, Hitler proposes an idea that he believes that they can break the Americans. Um, and some of the generals follow through with it. They, they see that there's like zero chance of success, but I mean, this is your Fuhrer, man. Mm-hmm. You have to do what he says. So Hitler's assumptions uh, that the Americans would fold is obviously false. Basically, Hitler wants um, what is left of the Panzer Division in France to swarm and overwhelm the American army. This kind of works, but then doesn't really. And overall, there is now 2,500 to 3,500 Germans uh, stranded. So in all their tanks that they sent to overwhelm the Americans that are in France, they don't send enough gas. So any Germans that get out alive have to walk back to Germany, kind of showing how ill thought out this plan was and another reflection of Hitler's mental state at this time. Yeah, and, and Americans at this point were not taking many prisoners and killed many of the Germans who were walking back as Germany executed a number of American troops troops earlier on yeah during the battle of the bulge yeah while this is going on in late 1944 the the japanese start with their kamikaze bombings as their top pilots were already killed so they were desperate a lot of pilots weren't really willing to do this but they weren't given enough fuel to return so they they start bombing a few American ships with this style, mm-hmm. and it, it it ends up being pretty costly on the American side. But th- this is where that gets introduced as a a Japanese strategy. And that note about how they just weren't given enough fuel was another heartbreaking part of this, where these oh, guys totally. are like, "This is not something I want to do." And the Japanese said, "No, no, 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 it'll be fine. Don't yeah. worry about it." I mean, they we, have families. We were hey jokes about that. Sorry, didn't mean it. Back and forth, you'll be fine. <laughs> and that was a lie. Right. And sorry, you said that kamikaze was kind of a bombing style. Um, just for clarification, it is uh, driving your plane as if right. it were a bomb. Yes. There's no coming back. It's suicide missions. Mm-hmm. In early 1945, Hitler is given the option to retreat. And if he doesn't, they will be fully wiped out. He does evacuate and he goes to a bunker in Berlin. 
This is the one where he dies. He will never leave that bunker. Germans remove their forces from the battles in the east uh, and the USSR advances quickly. They take over Warsaw in Poland right away and march towards where Hitler is being held in Berlin. While that's going poorly for the Germans, the Pacific War uh, is turning quite brutal as the Americans are trying to reclaim a number of the islands that Japan has taken over in Southeast Asia. And the Americans start by taking out Portland in Japan, which essentially forces the, the Japanese people into a famine. The, the Japanese are willing to put up with whatever is necessary to help with the war as they believe in the emperor, and the states are just absolutely dominating this. Roosevelt is looking for help from the Soviets, but Stalin does not really want to do that. Roosevelt is sick and has to take time away, and th this leads to a couple of different decisions that are made, mm -hmm. but one of the main ones is the starting of the Manhattan Project in New Mexico. Roosevelt does have a hand in this, but one of the, the reasons it kind of gets started is he didn't want to invade Japan and they clearly were not going to surrender. And th this caused a, a lot of debate about how the war was going to end. And you do wonder if the president was healthy at the time, how different that would have been. For sure. And one of the other reasons it was started is because there was rumor that the Germans were starting to look into atomic weaponry. Mm -hmm. The U.S. was kind of like, well... I want that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, we would see that later in, in how basically nuclear war and nuclear weapons have been used to this day. It's basically, well, they have that, so we should have that. And in this particular case, though, as you mentioned, that that is starting as Americans also plan a invasion of Japan, but they are worried about the Japanese people and how basically into this war mm -hmm. this is going to be. The Japanese at one point figure out exactly where the United States are going to invade, and that leads to a number of concerns uh, from the American side about how this is all kind of going. 1945, uh, the Americans take over Okinawa, which are like southern islands of Japan. At this point in the American military, there's lots of uh, differentiating ideas differentiating ideas and not a whole lot of people know about the atomic bombs that are being built so lots of people aren't even considering that as a possibility because they don't know that it's happening right so they think that invading japan is going to be the only way that they're gonna um stop their expansion in southeast asia roosevelt passes away um harry truman takes over and he has also been given no real information on the manhattan project which is the atomic bomb Yes, he was keeping that one very close to the vest, yes. even to, to his dying days. Truman doesn't really know a whole lot about this. This really does seem like a turning point in a little bit of this. Also, while this is going on, Hitler dies, and May 7th, the Nazis are basically officially done. So Stalin turns his sights against the Japanese. Truman is worried that the Russians will open up communism on the, the Japanese. Mm -hmm. So he starts to get a little bit panicky, and that is where the first atomic bomb is tested july 16th uh truman sees this as a way to avoid uh, avoid invasion and he's worried about losing a, a lot of his own soldiers says they can use uh, truman says they can use this where and when they see fit mm -hmm. and sorry this is in 1945 yes i don't think we've said the said the year in a little while oh sorry um but this is yeah so this is summer of 1945 and um as i'm sure that we've put in the description or maybe you've guessed within about a month uh, the war is going to be over. One of the big days in this is, is approaching, but just before that, the Allies saying that the Japanese can surrender. The Japanese are absolutely refusing to surrender, and that leads to one of the more horrific incidents, at least single days, that, that yeah. you will see in this. The, the debate has been quite aggressive as to... How should they use an atomic bomb? Should they use an atomic bomb? Scientists are saying uh, you can use it as a trump card as it would be immoral to use it on humans. So basically it's a, hey, we have this thing. You should probably not, you know, keep fighting with us. But the Japanese refuse to surrender, not saying that they deserve a GD atomic bomb dropped on mm -hmm. them. August 6th, a plane heads over to Hiroshima 
and that morning first atomic bomb is dropped in less than a second 70,000 people are killed most of the city is wiped out there's a huge mushroom cloud um, by the end of the day thousands more uh, have died and the Japanese really have no idea what has hit them um, we were in Hiroshima and we did see they have a lot of uh, monuments and a whole atomic bomb dome uh, is still standing they've obviously done some kind of preservation on it but it just is when we were in that city it was weird to even see you know restaurants and people happy and and all that kind of stuff because this place was just ravaged it was yeah. just gone in the blink it of did, an eye the whole the whole day touring through all of the stuff and again it, it's a lovely city now mm-hmm. but we did the the war tour stuff and it, it felt like you're at a funeral. Like you, you see the where the shadows are vaporized into concrete. Yeah. And you see clothes that are stained with the black rain that fell afterwards. The, the effects of this atomic bomb as it, it really was. It, it's like nothing that anyone had seen before. The Japanese thought it was just another bomb that had been dropped on them. So when Truman says, hey, this is the first of many, watch out. They're just like... Yeah, it's the first of many bombs. It's a war. We, we've had bombs dropped on us before. It's it, it's whatever, man. Yeah, so whether it was them not knowing, you know, what kind of bomb it was, or, you know, I imagine phone lines might have been down to Hiroshima mm-hmm. that day. So I think that word just hadn't spread of how bad it actually was. Yeah. And, of course, you know, Japan is sending more military in to Hiroshima, and they're sending you know, aid and everything. And unfortunately, the uh, lasting effects of radiation also affect those people. Yes. And one of the things that was noted while we were there was like the, the talk about them not surrendering is the the Japanese take pretty well full responsibility for like they say we entered war yeah, and they walked, the, at one time Japan walked the path of war. Yes, that that's the phrase that is used. And, and so it is a like we not... Again, they then say, no one deserves this. But there is a bit of a, we didn't surrender and we were in war and there are consequences to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the Japanese are meeting, they're getting, um, they're they're losing to the Russians as well as Japan is having a really rough time of everything. And then the United States drops another one on Nagasaki. And again, 70,000 people are killed instantly. This bomb is far more powerful. And still, some people in Japan believe that surrender is not an option. And uh, a lot of people are wondering if they've let the emperor down. It is absolutely crazy, Mm -hmm. the, the mentality that goes into this from the Japanese side. But these were absolutely horrific and it, it is tough to wrap your head around it, it changes an entire generation of people totally. in, in the span of a couple of seconds and it changed the landscape it changed the people i mean yeah it was it, it was a fucking lot yeah um uh eventually and by eventually i mean within a few days they realize what has happened to them and uh the emperor speaks he addresses the nation and he calls the attack so horrific that they have to surrender september 2nd japan officially surrenders immediately american and japanese scientists begin to study the victims um there are reports later that uh some of the japanese people were feeling like they were being treated like rats for these investigations and the effects do rage on for decades with birth defects america kind of stifles um a lot of the videos that showed the carnage um of what their bombs did that all came out years and years later in 1970 and you know we can youtube those videos now yeah and i i cannot recommend like it was a downer but i cannot recommend the trip to to hiroshima enough a to see how wonderfully the city has recovered but also to to go through the museum and to to go through the tours and they have a a reading of a diary of someone who was going through the -hmm. effects of it as not someone who died that day but someone who would eventually die and and just to see how horrific this all was It, it really does drive home 
how terrifying this ends up being. At the end of it all, 25 million people die because of the Pacific War. The the last little bit of this that, that needs to be tied all together, the concentration camps. This is something that, again, you're seeing some reports of in 1942. By 1944, as we mentioned, the Russians discover it. The Western media is not fully believing what is really being said and really being done yeah, because some of the, the stuff is just absolutely horrific. It's just unbelievable. There was a story that we we found out about while researching this. There would be like the wives of concentration camp guards would be like, I like that person's tattoo or I like that person's, you know, the way their freckles are. Then that person would mysteriously go missing and, you know, perhaps that wife would get... um a piece of leather jewelry or a leather lampshade. And that is so insanely fucked up. Yes. They really treated the the Jewish people and the people, the civilians, the really everyone that was in concentration camps. They were not people in their eyes. I We can't stress that enough. Like we've been joking a little bit on this podcast and maybe that's inappropriate, but I, I do want to say that what happened was insanely fucked up nobody should be treated like that for any reason yeah <laughs> hard stop <laughs> yes um 1945 the the russians find more and nazis are, are forcing jews to march and ride trains at which point the, the americans start to find some as well and one of the the i guess key pleas of the german people is that these were a ways out in different spots that, that the German people just weren't exposed to. Uh, a lot of it in Poland and a lot of it just in kind of rural areas where there aren't a lot of German people. So General Patton of the United States military is not going to let that be a thing. So he forces the German community to march through the concentration camps. There were found to be 44,000 camps and ghettos across Germany. Uh, Six million Jewish people died. That number is obviously higher once you think about just the civilians, um, you know, anyone of a different race uh, that wasn't Aryan, anyone who had a disability, anyone who, you know, went against Nazis were put in these camps. It was so horrific. There are war charges brought against the Nazis, but anti-Semites uh, block the proceedings um, and lots of them go free. Right at the end of the war, a lot of South American countries kind of join in on the uh, on the fascist side. So you do hear about a lot of um, Nazis fleeing to Brazil and Chile and Argentina and places like that. Well, one of the excuses used as well is that the Soviets are starting to rise and the, the Americans are viewing this as a problem. Mm -hmm. And so the, their focus needs to be on that and not the, these horrific war crimes. So the, the U.S. is able to force a number of countries to, to let the, the Nazis free. Yeah, and I think, too, at the time, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the U.S. Parliament. Yeah. You know, if America isn't holding you accountable for war crimes, um, they're a huge superpower at the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still are. I shouldn't say it like that. But if, you know, this world court isn't holding you accountable, then you're not. Yes. So, yeah, a lot of the Nazis go free. Um, some of them are persecuted for their crimes. And that's World War II. <laughs> right. Yes. No, it, it, uh, it does have a, a very unsatisfactory end when you, you yeah. get to those sorts of things. But those are a lot of the key points of, of World War II, where, again, this absolutely horrifying thing that happened, but did shape a lot of even how society is today when you think of what the consequences would have been had this war played out differently and ha had results ended up being different it, it's it, it is a, a major landmark and is really something that is used to divide time it seems like in, in the course of history this was our first podcast this was our we had no idea about world war ii and quite frankly i did have no idea i wrote papers on nationalism in high school and did i remember a lot of this no Mm -hmm. I, I'm quite similar, and I I was someone who was fascinated by World War II even before all of this, and a lot of these kind of details were new to me as well, and most of them very horrifying. Mm -hmm. So this was absolutely something we had no idea about. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed it. We will have episodes out every single week. 
Uh, if you have a general history subject or thing that happened that you think we should cover, send us an email at we had no idea podcast at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe. Isn't that what everyone says? I think so, yeah. <laughs> you can find us um, obviously where you found this first episode and wherever podcasts are available. We are on them all. Woo! Is that it?